Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. I'm Gary Williams. The gentleman I'm getting ready to interview or have a conversation with is the CEO of the PGA of America. And if you told me he was going to do this job five, six, eight years ago, I would have said, why? But I know why now, and I kind of knew why then, because he's so intellectually and emotionally invested in the game of golf. But his position is very, very significant because right now the synergy that exists between the USGA, the RNA, the PGA Tour, Augusta National, and the PGA of America has never been better. And that's really important considering all the issues facing the game in a collective. Start with the Saudi Golf Initiative. And then if you want to go to what might come down with respect to the distance insights report put out by the RNA and the USGA and how much they need to work together on these issues, because we know we live in a very litigious society. Well, Seth Waugh has an interesting background, a background that has seen a great deal of success. He's somebody who genuinely loves the game of golf. His championship is coming up in a couple of weeks, the PGA Championship at Southern Hills. Plenty to discuss with the CEO of the PGA of America. With that, we welcome in Seth Waugh. My friend, how are you? Couldn't be better, Gary. Nice to be with you. How are you doing? How's I'm doing a whole new life. I, well, it's great. It really is. It's, uh, you. you know what, beyond this, uh, it's nice to be in Charlotte. It's nice to be around a lot of family, uh, a lot of yeah. friends, some people that you know well. Uh, but, but you know what, this I love because I get to, you know, nobody's saying, hey, we got to go to break, uh, which, yeah. is, which is nice. <laughs> Get those talking points in. Hit that break now. Um, there you go. It's one of the, one of the advantages of being a CEO. Nobody ever cuts you off, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, it, of course, uh, one of my business partners is sitting over here going, "No, actually, I can cut you off." Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, no. But it's it's good to see you. I, I'm going to get to why you've got that wide smile on your face because I, for people who don't know, your your love affair with golf is is not because you happen to have the position you have. This is a deep-seated um, thing with you that's very personal. It's, it's very much about family. It's about fellowship. But I want you to explain to everybody where it started. I mean, you have, you have a, a big family. you got a lot of brothers. Your dad was in the academic world. Where did your curiosity and then ultimately your passion about the game of golf, where did it come from? Yeah, it's a, it's a long, I, you know, if you want. A long answer. I, I got one, I guess. Um, you know, it really, you know, like I, my father was a teacher and a coach, um, coached baseball, basketball, and played them both. And uh, I, I had the great fortune of both having him in class, I don't know, six or seven times and playing for him on seven or eight teams and being his captain. But anyway, we grew up playing everything. And I, through school, I played three sports because uh, that's kind of what you did. And uh, golf was always a little bit in there in the sense that, uh, the school that he taught at had a little nine holer. And before I could kind of work in the summers, I'd get dropped off at campus with a tennis racket and a, uh, you know, a bag of raggedy clubs and, you know, and we'd play nine holes in our bare feet after playing tennis and hoops and jumping in the pond and doing all the stuff the kids do. Right. Uh, and we used to fool around in the backyard. We had a thing called wiffle golf where we, we'd put, you know, kind of, we'd use a Frisbee as the hole and we'd play around different things and have played in a lot of uh, my brothers and I, and my father played in a lot of obscure places, including the Aran islands and getting a lot of stairs. And, you know. So uh, anyway, it sort of started there. And then once I graduated from school, I had a number of injuries, um, blew out my knees, tried to play over 30 baseball, blew out my shoulder uh, at which point, um, you know, the only thing I could really compete in, frankly, was golf. And uh, I had, uh, I got okay, you know, I was a decent athlete. I'd never had a lesson. Um, got invited to play at a member guest with like my best friend. It was West Hampton Country Club. And and I, um, uh, we somehow, I actually birdied the 18th hole of the third match to get to extra holes. And all of a sudden now you got 50 people kind of watching you because, you know, they had nothing better to do. And and then, you know, first of all, we kind of survived, but I'm, I'm, my wheels are totally rattling, 
uh, second hole and my partner's part of both. And we get to the third hole and he misses the green. It's part three. The other two guys knocking on the green and he goes, Hey partner, I need you. Now there's 75 people watching and I cold check to five iron into the woods. <laughs> so I, I kind of go like, that is the worst feeling I've ever had athletically in my life. I went back, we were renting a house on the beach. I took every ball I could find out of my bag and I hit it into the ocean with my five iron just to sort of make sure I could do it. And, um, and that, and I decided that night that I had to get better. And I was blind to a little local place in Long Island. And I went to Eddie Kelly, who was the local pro and said, Eddie, I, I can't do this anymore. And he, he, uh, you know, just on sort of watching Arnold on TV kind of thing. And he rebuilt my swing a little bit. And I got down to the point where I was, um, you know, pretty low single digit at one point. Um, and, but what really changed it, Gary, and I think this is where you're going, is my, our oldest son was born, and he just found the game. We lived on the back of a golf course in the fourth hole, and I'd kind of go out at 5 o'clock at night and hit balls. And from age two, he could hit it. I mean, he's a lefty, and he'd just get out there and whack it. And uh, and then, you know, by the time he was three or four, we uh, uh, I just made up a little hole where we'd, you know, play four holes and you know, had Clancy tees that were, you know, 100 yards out or whatever. And, um, and that was our deal. We'd do this loop and he played every sport, but every Sunday was golf day in the afternoon. And we'd go play nine or 18 or 36, whatever he wanted to do. And he, he got obsessed with it, which we all do. And he broke a hundred when he was five from the red tees, which is, you know, sort of mind boggling still and started to compete. And I started caddying for him and all of a sudden golf wasn't something that took me away from my family, but it brought me to my family. Right. And now we have five kids um, you know, we have family scrambles on every holiday. Uh, everybody, you know, the girls are getting into it. Our next oldest son, Brant Track, and now is totally obsessed with it. The girls are all into it because they're, you know, either dating or interested in guys that play, and, <laughs> and uh, including one of his Clancy's ex teammates. And so it's, you know, it, it brings us together. I, I you know, the, the real obsession is that. Like, I, I think golf might be the greatest engine for good on earth, right? Like, I, you know, just, you know, you think about the charitable dollars, you think about how every other sport needs to use our sport to, to raise money, to bring people together. It's kind of every athlete's second sport now, right? Um, and, and then, but more importantly, the places it brings you to, the, the people you meet, the relationships that you have, the lessons that you learn, the time with your family, the values that it represents, um, and the time that you can spend doing it and obsessing on it, right? It's a, it's an amazing drug, right? Like you, you know, um, when you're not playing well, you can't sleep at night, right? And um, and when you are, you, you know, that's how you go to bed is thinking about that seven iron you hit that day. So, it's uh, I didn't. I, it sort of came to me more than I came to it. Um, got, got interwoven in my business career in a number of different ways, um, which I won't bore everybody with, but. Um, uh, and then all of a sudden I found myself in the business, which is, you know, uh, wasn't a plan. It just kind of happened. And um, it's a privilege to, to be in my seat. That's for sure. You know, when when you took this job, I don't think it shocked a ton of people because your name had been kicked around a lot with respect to the PGA Tour, uh, with your involvement in the advancement uh, and the elevation of the Deutsche Bank Championship, your relationships in the game. But it still surprised some that you became the CEO of the PGA of America. And I knew you had specific objectives. Uh, you, you have great relationships with a lot of PGA professionals. Uh, I know how much you admire uh, the work that they do. Where are you on those objectives? Uh, that's a great question. Like, uh, like my again, I said earlier, my father and mother were both teachers and uh, teachers. And and so I, I always thought that's what I would do, right? And then I sort of found out, you know, I sort of accidentally went to Wall Street and um, and spent, you know, a career there um, and loved it. Uh, no excuses. But um, this, to me, is a little bit back to the future, right? Like, it's, I've never, I never will have the chance to impact more lives, right? If we can make 28,000 lives better, we can make millions of lives better through this game, as we, we talked about. And and so it's a gift to me, right, that I, that I get this opportunity to do that. Um, I think, you know, look, I, I, I think uh, my, my broad goals were um, to kind of um, see where the puck is going rather than where it's been. I think, you know, we've spent a lot of time as an industry kind of protecting our grandparents' game, if you will, as opposed to making the game for our kids' kids. And so um, sort of realizing that disruption was going to come 
And, you know, we had to be a part of that and, and embrace it um, in order to grow the game and, and have it, you know, when I first came on, it was like, you know, the narrative was, you know, is golf going to be okay? Right. And now we're obviously this incredible boom, but it was like, you know, what do we do to sort of save the game as opposed to, you know, how do we deal with this growth, you know, the hockey stick. Um, so that's one thing. And so mission accomplished, I, you know, um, I think COVID obviously has helped a lot, but a lot of that's been intentional, right? Like we, we've embraced the game in every form, right? Like golf, you know, uh, top golf is not the enemy. It's our, it's our partner, maybe our most important partner. It's a gateway to our game. It's not, you know, so when I started, we, they had really basically zero PGA professionals in their stores. They now have at least one in every one um, because, you know, that's, they're giving lessons and, and, you know, promoting the game. Um, you know, look what's going on in nine holers and, 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 uh, and Himalaya putting experiences and pop golf and all this stuff that's going on, which is fantastic. Right. Um, and I, I've always said, like, if you, you know, if you shoot hoops in your backyard, you play basketball that day. It wasn't five on five with, you know, refs, but um, so it doesn't have to be 18 holes, you know, with uh, everything in the hole, it can be putting on your carpet and that's, you know, that's sort of golf. So I think that's great. And now we got to make sure that's sustainable and sticky. I think the other thing that I, you know, really wanted to focus on is I, I thought the industry was, you know, the industry is ridiculously bifurcated, right? There's way too many kind of agencies you get the usga i'm not picking on anybody it's just the way it is sure. right like a pga tour the european tour the lpga the usga the rna bj of america like nobody you know half the people i know think i have jay's job right and um and i don't always <laughs> i don't always you know sort of uh, tell them that that's not the case um so uh <laughs> but you know and i when i got into the room i think you know, the, the perception was that we were competitors, that we were somehow, you know, sort of uh, you know, battling for space. And like, I, I just kind of, it, it was over the rules thing at first, and then obviously the schedule and everything else we've done. And it was like, look guys, we're not, you're, I'm not your competitor. I, you know, I, you're my biggest partner. Jay, I borrow your players a couple times a year. And Molly, I, you know, borrow your players once or twice a year. Like, that, you know, we need to be the board of directors of the game, right? And you know, of, of kind of golf Inc. And like, how do we, how do we promote it together? We can do so much more together than we can apart. And I think, you know, that um, uh, the scheduling and how Jay handled all that was, you know, a big part of that, how we've dealt with make golf your thing, which I'll talk about in a second, which is kind of, um, our industry efforts um, to, to, you know, grow the game and diversify the game. Uh, so I'm, I'm proud of that. Um, another big goal I had, you know, obviously is, you know, in general, as I said, impacting lives. So trying to make 28,000 lives better and realize that, the, you know, the two biggest things that um, faced them when I started anyway was, you know, uh, sort of a healthcare system. Yep. Um, uh, which, you know, some clubs have or some facilities have, not everybody does, making something portable. And the second was, you know, some safety net, right? Some ability to accumulate wealth. And um, we're still working, frankly, on the healthcare side. It's a very complicated issue. Um, it's what Obamacare has tried to be and has failed in certain ways and succeeded in others. And it's you just can't create a national class because of the state-by-state -state regulations. But we're, we're going to improve that, but I don't, feel like we have a silver bullet for that yet. But on the safety net side, I'm really proud to say that we got approved last year a deferred compensation plan, which um, I think is gonna, I, you know, we believe and is gonna be game changing for our 28,000, right? You, you're gonna have the ability to earn money at pension points, which will then be managed, um, you know, you, it'll be managed through uh, outside sources, but you'll, have, you'll be able to self-direct those. Uh, and over, you know, a 40 year career for, you know, you, when you started out as a, as a, you know, apprentice, um, you would be able to participate in that. And over 40 years, the compounding effect at whatever, five to 8% is very powerful. So, you know, when you retire now, you'd have a nest egg of whatever, call it a half a million to a million and a half dollars, depending on how much you put in there, um, over, you know, over your life. Um, so really excited about that. Proud of that one. Um, you know, they hadn't been able to figure that out for a hundred years or so. And, and so 
I'm really proud of our team and, and what we put together there. So I, I look, there's, it's, you know, the good news is um, it's, it, you know, it's an endless job, right? Because you're trying to grow the game every day in every way. Um, and you're trying to, you know, sort of um, serve the members every day. So the, the, the last thing I talk about is again, I referenced it, but it's make off your thing. And, you know, you real we realized um, as COVID, you know, was starting on sort of June of um, 2020 and, Jay had gotten us back on the field and things are starting to crank up. And we had done a thing called um, back to golf, which, um, you know, I woke up one morning and saying like, look, you know, what, what am I facing? And I'm, I'm sitting in my bedroom, not allowed to go out. I wasn't allowed to, you know, we live across the street from the beach. I wasn't allowed to go in the ocean. I wasn't allowed to play golf. I wasn't allowed to play tennis. It wasn't, you know, really was around to like walk around the neighborhood. And I sort of said like, this is crazy. Like we actually need, people need an outlet, right? Like, and so golf can be a part of that, you know, solution as opposed to the problem. Right. And at its core, if you and I walked, you know, 18 holes with a bag over our back on 200 acres, like that's pretty safe, right? Like that's, you know, that's a walk in the park and what we should be doing. And so I used a couple of connections to get to Dr. Fauci and just said, look, um, we think golf can be exactly what the society needs. There, there's, you know, you, we need mental and physical release here. Um, and we have all this acreage that's out there being, you know, unused. And it was somewhat selfish because we wanted to, obviously our facilities wanted to be open and making money. That, you know, it was a, at that point, everybody was afraid of a recession because of you know, lack of activity. And, um, uh, but it was also, you know, societally, I think something that we needed to do. And I said, we can have sort of safe sex for golf, right? Like, you know, and that is, let's start with, you know, no contact and meet in the parking lot and, you know, no carts and no F and B and whatever, and we'll layer it on. So we started this three stage of thing, which we then rolled out to the industry and rolled out um, across the board. So now golf is booming. I don't, I'm not trying to take all credit for that. I just, but I, you know, we put our thumb on the scale and our, you know, 28,000 were the workers out there that, um, frontline workers that were, were making that happen. And so now we're booming and then George Floyd happens, right? Which is obviously mm -hmm. an incredible tragedy, but created this moment, um, which, you know, we, we all want to be a movement, right? Of, of social justice and how do we, you know, how do we respond to this in the right way? And it struck me again that, you know, one of the things that has frustrated me through my entire career is that I haven't been able to move the needle, frankly enough, on inclusion, whether that was on Wall Street and you know, and there's golf's got a lot to be proud of, but its history on this front is not something, right? We had a Caucasian only clause till 1961. Well, you know, Jackie Robinson came on in 1947, right? So we, we've got, you know, work to do um, on making the game look more like the rest of the world. So maybe the world will behave a little bit more like our game, right? And, um, and so I called Jay and I called Mike Wan, who was running the LPGA at the time, and I said, like, you know, we have an obligation and an opportunity to um, to uh, do two things. One is to grow the game generationally. Let's pretend that Tiger burst on the scene, um, you know, again. And what would we do differently this time that we didn't do last time to make it sticky, to make it generational so people didn't buy clubs and stick them in the closet? And uh, um, so that's number one. And number two is, you know, again, how do we make the game look more like the rest of the world in this moment slash movement? And so I said, what do you want? We totally agree. What do you want to do? So we, we, I said, well, we have a convening power. We called a call with all the CEOs of the equipment companies, Top Golf, uh, kind of everybody, you know, the, the uh, uh, management companies in golf um, and invited them all to be on a call. Everybody was in a violent agreement on these two things. So from that, we now have um, a, a group of 120 or so people from that industry that are volunteering their time to be a part of six working groups, which are you know, supply chain, employment, um, uh, grassroots, uh, charitable giving, which we're giving away. Seven, you know, we've collected, we've, um, we've sort of aggregated our pool of, of charitable dollars and we're, um, we now have a, a system of, of application and, and doing it. Um, so we're writing bigger checks to more places of 750,000, which the industry is giving away every year. Uh, we have a marketing campaign. We have, you know, all these um, sort of things going on. And so I, I, you know, for the first time ever, the industry, despite it being so bifurcated, is actually working together to do exactly what we should do, which is grow the game and, and make it, um, 
make it you know not only welcoming but in, invitational, right? And and so um, I'm I'm proud of all those things. And you know, look, the, as I said, the work will never stop, and that's kind of the good news. I think the unintended consequence, frankly, of all this growth uh, and all the activity in golf is that our our people are tired. You know, that like the, those frontline workers have been going 24/7. You know, we've upped. Um, you know, we've, whatever we're up 30, 40% in terms of volume. Um, and, you know, we haven't added to the, the, you know, the employment pool, right. And we're not really paying them more money. And so um, the big, uh, the big work this year is going to be to, how do we create a, you know, more supply? We, we had a demand problem. We've got a supply problem of labor now. Now it's a, obviously a problem across the whole economy, but, um, but within ours, how do we attract young people? How do we keep them in the business? Um, and how do we give them a life, right? Because, um, you know, they're working for very low rate wages and, and very, very long hours. And so we've got a, this whole work-life balance um, and compensation thing is something we're going to work on, you know, hard um, over the next year or two. You know, you mentioned some of the principles, and, and I'll go through them again. You know, Martin Slumbers of the RNA, Mike Wan now, formerly of the LPGA, now with the USGA, Molly, who's with the LPGA now, yourself, Jay, Fred Ridley of Augusta National. Um, I, I always thought that there, it was too territorial. Um, and there wasn't enough of a collective cause. And I get it. Look, you have to worry about your own constituents. But I think now there is there is a better um, working relationship. And these I mean, these are really personal, great relationships that I think exist at a time when a lot of things have to be done with everybody's interest at heart. And that includes the distance issue that that the USGA and the RNA had to kind of shelve that thing because of covid. Uh, now it's back out there. And where is the resolution? Mike Wan told me on this show, he said, look, we've had cosmetic bifurcation for a long time now. Um, where are we going with this? Right. So the first point I'll say is, um, yeah, the, the relationships are real and, and they're, they're, you know, more and more deep seated. I've, I've been lucky enough to know all these people, with the exception of Mike for years. Jay was my tournament director in Boston. Um, you know, Played with Fred the first time at the AT&T in, you know, 1990 something. And um, Martin and I worked together for a dozen years or so at Deutsche Bank. And um, Mike Davis is somebody I've known for 25 years. So, you know, they're re the, those relationships are real. We used, we always have gotten together around the majors, but it's more sort of for board meetings and not really, you know, conversation. And we're now um, getting together um you know, kind of an offsites um, to to talk about all the big issues that are facing us, and I think it's really healthy, really good, um, and uh, and that will continue. So that's all very real. I think, like, this is a you know, I, on the one hand, my hesitation is like I don't want to tell my friends like, okay, we've, we've got this huge boom going on, and um, and I think frankly, one of the mistakes that the game has made when I talked about it protecting its grandparents' game is like for. 25 or 30 years, you know, architecture was judged by, you know, how hard a golf course was as opposed to like how fun it was or how, you know, interesting it was or how beautiful it was. Um, and, you know, I, to that point, I just don't want to say, okay, we've got this giant boom going on. We're, we're getting, you know, we had 600,000 new juniors. We've got, you know, the game of just, you know, it's getting younger, right? Like yep. the 20 somethings that we couldn't attract are now obsessed and all about it. And, I don't want to say that to them or my friends, frankly, that like, hey, I know you fell in love with the game. Now we're going to make it harder again. Right. We're going to look like a bunch of, you know, fat, white, you know, rich guys saying, you know, uh, the fun police. Right. Um, and so making sure that we um, that we don't um, do that willy nilly. I, I, I get that we're trying to, you know, figure it out for the top, you know, one percent or one percent of one percent, you know, for sure. Right. Like um, but. You know, and I also think part of the entertainment of this uh, has been, frankly, the amazing things that they're doing. That you know, that Bryson can drive the first hole of the Ryder Cup and you know take his putter out. Like that's pretty cool, right? Like, and and I think that's part of the reason people are watching it. So 
I think I get that we're worried about the future. Um, I think we, I know we will have balance on it. I, I, I started with the first part of your point um, because I think it's important that this will be a real conversation this time. I, I don't, I, it's not going to get jammed down anybody's throat. We're going to all have a conversation. We may not all totally agree, but we'll, we'll come out of the room, you know, sort of saying the same thing because we have to, right. Um, you know, we have to, we're the stewards of the game and, and, you know, we have to do that. Um, I also, I, I, you know, I think bifurcation is a slippery slope um, and I get the whole wooden bat thing, but, you know, at the end of the day, one of the beauties of this game is that in a pro-am, you can go into the same arena with the same equipment and, and measure yourself against the best person on earth, right? And, um, and that's pretty cool, right? Like it's, you know, um, uh, and so, you know, tee boxes are sort of have been the bifurcation, right? And, mm -hmm. and I'm okay with that. Um, uh, so I, I hope they can develop balls, um, that can, um, can be, you know, more affected at higher swing speeds than they are low speeds, right? So, you know, if, if you can figure out the physics of, um, you know, a whatever 120 mile an hour swing speed, um, you know, your seven iron is going to go, you know, whatever it's, it's, you know, it, on a, you know, not just on a percentage basis, but a real basis because the ball doesn't get as compressed, um, you know, that it, that it affects us a lot less than it affects them. Now it will because of the power of, you know, compounding, but um, I think, I think that's where I'd rather see it go. I, I'd almost rather see spin go into a ball than, you know, than distance, right. You know, and, um, and adding skill back to the game, I think their creativity back to the game, I think is a really interesting thought too. So a lot more to happen. Um, I, I, we all understand, you know, the emotion around it. We all understand the debate around it. Um, and, um, and I think, I know we'll come to a good conclusion because I know we'll come out of the room together. The white smoke will go up and we'll figure it out. The, you know? um, your, your championship, your members championship is in a couple of weeks. Uh, Southern Hills, I know you're excited for the world to see uh, that place again, uh, what Gil Hance and his team uh, and Jim Wagner have done there. It's fabulous. Um, but but with that makes me think about all these future sites. And and look, you guys have a lot of places that are already uh, online and the USGA is doing a lot of that as well. Um, why is this happening? Why is this race to commitments that are like 20, 25, 30 years out there. Why, why is this happening, do you think? You know, uh, I think it's happening um, because it can, because it's fun. Um, I think, you know, it's happening for different reasons in different places. Um, I, I actually think it's kind of wrong, <laughs> to be honest with you. And I don't mean to criticize the USGA. I, I like, the, you know, the idea of a road that makes sense to me. I think they've, you know, they kind of experimented with, taking it to other places um, and, and, you know, new places and, you know, whatever. And I think they've gone back to the future a little bit like the British Open. And I, and I actually agree with that. I think that's, you know, a good thing to do. Um, I think it's, you know, frankly, when you say 20 to 25 years, um, I, think, I think it's a little bit, you know, possibly irresponsible, right? Because who knows what's going what's gonna to happen. Um, between, you know, then and now, and you certainly don't need that much time to, um, to, you know, lock something in, you know, when we made a decision to move to Southern Hills, you know, a um, uh, year and a half ago, you know, we had 30 plus, event, you know, events, uh, excuse me, uh, venues that were uh, willing to take us on world-class places. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't say all of them could have handled it, but almost all of them. And that was an 18 month window. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we've, we're committed long out before, before I got here, and I'm not criticizing any predecessors. Um, I think there's been this back to the competition thing. It was sort of, okay, well, you had to lock it in. You know, we had to lock it in before the USGA did, and the USGA had to lock it in before we did. And, you know, it was sort of a little bit of a, um, a game on that front um, with, but there are so many wonderful places that are dying for something. And I, and I don't, I've never looked at it as like a USGA versus a PGA facility. Um, I just think it should fit into like whatever the calendar is. They're all championship golf courses and we're all for the game. And, um, and it, I don't want to compete on that front. It, it doesn't make any sense. So I'm all over the place a little bit. And what I'm saying is um, 
is I probably wouldn't have committed us out as far as we're committed out. Let's, let's start with that because I think um, life can change too much. Um, but having said that, I understand what, what the USGA is doing and Mike is doing um, in the sense of this rota and just kind of making a forward commitment to those clubs that you know, are you going to invest over the next two or three decades to make sure that whatever happens in, as the game modernizes, that you're going to invest in, you know, us and in the ability to have a championship. And, and this will give them comfort to do that um, and some certainty to the public about, you know, what are the US, U.S. Open golf courses? And I, I think there's an element of really cool stuff to that, whether that's supposed to be 25 years or 15 years, I don't know. But um, anyway, that's kind of where I am. Do, do you, you know, when you look at your future sites, uh, look, you know, to whatever degree we're going to hold our breath next year, and hopefully Rochester, uh, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's mild. <laughs> it will be. It will be. I thought Bethpage was great. I mean, I thought the yeah. temperatures were fabulous. Uh, Tulsa in May as opposed to August is going to yeah. be delightful. Um, yeah. But but does this, look, you, you've got your facility in Frisco that's going to be a big part of the future of, the, of your championship. Uh, does it? realistically open up other areas of the country, whether it be Southwest or even the state of Florida for that matter? Yeah, I think it opens up more than it closes. Let's put it that way. Okay. And that was part of the calculus. I'd also say in talking to the players, and if you're, you you wouldn't remember, but I do because I was, you know, jumpy about it at the time, was uh, at Beth Page, the beginning of part of that week was awful. Like it rained, it was oh, cold, I... you know, it, it was awful. And, um, you know, we had the champions dinner on the Tuesday night and I sat next to Tiger and Rory and, and I was saying, you know, how are we doing out there? And they go, look, no matter what it looks like the rest of the week, and by the way, it ended up being perfect, uh, is this is still better than August because August in, you know, Beth page, you know, it was thunderstorms and, and slog and humidity and heat, and, you know, just, uh, it, obviously Southern Hills was, is a, you know, torture test in, in August in a lot of ways, right? So even the places that are, you know, sketchy, I think people, I think people, I think they'll be happier to be at Oak Hill in May, even if it's a little bit rough than they would be in August. So that's all, you know, sort of good news. Um, you know, the economy is so good now that, you know, the courses are going to be fine. And then it just becomes what's going on that, you know, that week. Um, so, and look, our, you know, as I said, there's a Rota obviously now for the U.S. The US Open. Um, you know, we want, we have 41 sections. We, you know, theoretically want to bring our championship to every one, right? Like we want to be, we want to bring the game to the people. That's kind of one of our, uh, you know, one of our, you know, major pillars, right? Or our pillar. And so um, we're going to continue to look at, you know, places around the country that, you know, can host it. Um, it may take out a place like Whistling Straits, unfortunately, you know, which mm -hmm. has been a great site for us. But it, as you say, it adds Florida, it adds Texas, it adds, you know, lots of places that you really couldn't have imagined in August. So we're we're excited about it. As you should be. I, I the Last year, look, you had one of the great stories in major championship history and nobody in, in the world could have imagined uh, that your defending champion is, is currently in a, a self you know, appointed exile. Uh, do you have any indication one way or the other, whether Phil Mickelson is going to be there? Yeah. You know, look, I, I, I think the whole thing's just sad, right? It's sad for Phil and it's sad for the game. And uh, he's been great for the game for a really long time. And I do believe in redemption and I do believe that, you know, he can, he can figure this out. I think he's got to decide what he wants to be. Does he want to be part of the ecosystem or change the ecosystem? And, um, and I think he's kind of caught in between a little bit right now. Um, I've had a number of conversations with him uh, before, you know, call it last fall and since then and, and recently. Um, I think he, you know, he uh, is, um, uh, as you, you know, you said it well, I think he's trying to figure out right when the right time for him is. Um, I think the game's trying to figure out the right time for him, too. Um, you know, how long is long enough and, and is he ready um, mentally and physically to do it? Um, and so uh, he signed up, you know, a long time ago as he has to. I mean, obviously he's, um, he's exempt as our defending champion, but uh, he uh, had to, he signed up and has stayed signed up in order to sort of keep his options open. I, I, think, I think it'll be a, a late, you know, decision. Um, and I think, 
you know, we'll continue to have conversations. Um, you know, I've known Phil for 20 something years and he's a, uh, a complicated guy um, with complicated thoughts um, and in a complicated situation. And, and so we're all trying to figure out what's best for him and frankly, what's best for the game. And we're going to keep having those conversations. Does your team have some procedures in place? Let's say in the event that he does play uh, as far as, you know, him meeting the media, this is going to be, it would be an extraordinary event. You, you know, the interest uh, is going to bleed beyond the, the sports section we're, we're talking about. He's a cultural figure. Uh, do you guys have some things in place in the event that he chooses to come? Yeah, we've talked about it a lot. And, um, you know, I, I hope what we can do is have that um, before, you know, the, the flag goes up. Right. So the idea is, you know, if, if he does play and if he's um, able to and, and allowed to, if you will play the, uh, the, um, uh, you know, he'd certainly have to face the media, but I, I hope it's, you know, Monday or Tuesday. And then we can, once the flag goes up, it's about the golf. Right. And, and that's, you know, what we're trying to do is deliver a major championship, not a, not a circus. Right. And so, um, I would hope that he can avoid that and everybody can avoid that. And we're talking about, you know, golf shots instead of, instead of, you know, verbal gaffes, right. Um, uh, once, uh, once we get going, but there's certainly, I think part of his thinking is, am I ready to face that glare and have that conversation and have all the answers that everybody's going to be looking for. Um, and if I do it that week, am I then able to compete, you know, on a major championship venue um under that kind of pressure right um with everything everything going on so um but we would we would do everything we could to make it happen you know either before our week or or very early in the week let's take him out of this but just in general um you know if these players if players make a decision uh, to play this live golf series um and 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 let's say the decision is made by the pga tour that they're not going to be members of the PGA Tour anymore. Ostensibly, they wouldn't necessarily be members of the PGA of America uh, as well, and that could compromise Ryder Cup participation. Uh, is that something that they're jeopardizing as well? Uh, absolutely. So you've got to make a distinction because it's, it's confusing, right, like a lot of things in golf, that the series is a series. Um, the league is a league, right? And, and um, you know, to play in an individual event, and as a number of them have already done, including Phil, have applied for, you know, a release to play in it. And that's that's perfectly okay to apply for that release. And it's not on U.S. soil. And, um, and that all makes sense. Um, I think once they begin to play on U.S. soil, that changes things um, potentially because, They've, you know, they don't allow you to play on a competing, you know, U.S. event during a U.S. event. You know, you have to protect the sponsors, the game, et cetera, et cetera. So that's if if the league, in fact, you know, comes and people sign up for it. I think that's a very different thing than playing in the, you know, Harold Barner winning in Saudi and and, you know, potentially playing in um, this U.K. event. Um, and so that would absolutely remain to be, you know scene and, and how that ecosystem changes. But let me go back to sort of a fundamental point. I, I, I actually think, and I, I was very vocal about this last spring when I when asked at our championship, I, I think this is a flawed structure. Uh, and I think it's flawed on a number of levels. So like, first of all, I'm not sure team play is anything that people really care about. Um, you know, obviously in Ryder Cup, they do. I'm not sure that, you know, ownership of these teams other than the benefit to the players, um, which, you know, significant, um, potentially, um, is anything that the fans, you know, really care about, et cetera, et cetera. I also think, um, that, um, you know, if we, if, if money is introduced to this, like at the end of the day, the game is owned by its members, right? So the tour players own the tour, my 28,000 own our association. I work for them. I'm their fiduciary, right? I have a perpetual institution that I, like a university that I need to leave better than I found it. Right. And, um, and if you suddenly put, you know, equity into that where somebody needs to get a return, somebody needs to get an exit um, and somebody's going to have, you know, a lot of votes um, 
you know, all of a sudden that changes, hugely changes the dynamics of, of, uh, of, of you know, how things work, right? And, uh, and I think it's a slippery, dangerous slope. I mean, that's why the tour broke off in the first place is that, the play, you know, Arnold and Jack, and rightfully so, believed that the players should own the tour, and they do. And so, you know, and, and look, I, I have lived in a world of disruption. I brace it. Um, you have to, or you're going to get run over by it. Um, we're an $85 billion industry. We're cool for the first time ever. Like people are coming at us. Right. And, and that's good. And we just have to react to it. And what Jay has done to put 150 million or so more into the purses. Right. Um, and obviously there's going to be an escalation and already has been, um, at the masters in the, in the majors purses, um, because it is, you know, a bit of an arms race and, and, um, you know, the, the player impact program, like everything that's happened here, uh, the, the sort of, you know, affiliation going towards a much closer affiliation with the European tour, that's all a result of all this, you know, disruption from the outside. The question is, do you need outside money um, to, to, to make the, the game better or somehow, um, you know, better for the players, better for the fans, better for all the stakeholders? And I, and I just don't believe that you do. Um, and then I, you know, you got to consider the source of the money as well, right? Which is, um, you know, also hugely important in, in every investment decision, like where it comes from money, you know, all money is not created equal. Right. And so that's, you know, another thing. So like, I, I just think, I think it's flawed. Um, I really do. Um, and, you know, obviously that's self-serving because it protects our ecosystem, but I, you know, as an outside observer, I, I really believe that. Um, and so um, I don't think it's in the best interest of the game. And, and if, you know, if it gets going, I think it hurts the game, doesn't help the game. Like, why would you want to have competing, you know, competing leagues when the whole game is finally coming together? We finally, you know, we're kind of at that world tour that, you know, Greg wanted so badly. And I, and I think he's kind of right about um, um, in the form of, you know, the tours kind of coming together. So, uh, I think it's all happening. It's just happening internally as opposed to externally, and that's a good thing. Uh, quickly, one other thing about Southern Hills. Tiger was there last week. Um, have you gotten any indication since he's been there uh, f- from his team about impression and yeah. also him where he is physically? I think it'll be, as he said, at the Masters game time. Um, yeah. I think he wants to play. Um, and, you know, He's had great success there. I talked to him after he saw it. The greens were sanded, so it was a little hard to tell, you know, on on the green speeds and everything else. But he was really impressed. Said it's it's longer, it's harder. Um, it may have been something to do with the weather. You know, it's not it's not a easy walk because, as you know, it's yeah. you know it's called Southern Hills, right? <laughs> but but uh, it's not Augusta either in, in terms of how hard that is. I know. I think, uh, like, uh, you know, everybody knows this. I think Augusta took more out of him than, than he th- even thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's an amazing, you know, uh, he's got an amazing will as well as his every, other, you know, his athletic ability. Um, and um, and so I think he, I think he absolutely wants to play. I know he um, he was hurting um, more on sort of Monday than he thought he would be, but he, but he, he recovered quickly and, you know, was kind of getting back at it Tuesday, Wednesday. So uh, after Augusta, I mean, and so uh, I would, I'm hopeful, I guess is what I'm saying. And I don't have any inside information. I just, um, you know, I know he thinks a lot of our championship. He and I are, you know, pretty good friends and, um, and I don't mean he's going to play for me, but I, I, uh, I know he wants to try to play. Let's put it that way. A couple of things before and I, I don't think you. he would yeah. have I, he wouldn't have thought that in you know January or February, sure. I don't think. But. Uh, a couple other things. Let me get you out of here. Uh, the USA Golf. I, I have I, I thought you should have been running USA Golf about eight years ago. I think we now have almost inform USA Golf. I think the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup in terms of the pool of players, in terms of the uh, the men who are investing in, in the captaincy as far as being assistant captains, not being disqualified for one because you're associated with the other, is best for USA Golf. I also think the USGA is getting ready to invest in, in, in the grassroots level. Um, are we almost there? Are we almost at where we have USA Golf? Yeah, and it's back to you know what we talked about before, which are these relationships, right? Yeah. Like I, I view, I don't, I've never viewed 
any client or any shareholder, or any anybody as um, anything other than a partner. And um, and so that's just kind of how I look at life. Like you're my partner, you know, Jane's my partner. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't. Um, and so um, I, I think we're going to do it in that way. And, and because of those relationships, Jay and I have talked about not only, you know, not disqualifying somebody for being Ryder Cup or President's Cup captain, but actually using each one of those to train. Right. So like if maybe you shouldn't be a, you know, Ryder Cup captain until you've captain the President's Cup. I'm making that up. Don't sure. Don't, you know, whatever. But that that sort of the way to think about it is is to do it that way. Um, and, you know, Mike is very keen on um, doing this sort of, you know, USA grass, you know, sort of junior. It's um, like a federation. Know, and we've talked about it forever, too. And so if that happens, it'll happen. You know, it'll happen together. Um, it's kind of my coaches and it was some of his money and we don't know where the facilities might be, but, um, you know, shared resources, like we can just do so much more together than we can apart. So, like, I, I think if this was a business, Gary, um, and, I, and by this, I mean golf, it would have gotten rolled up a long time ago because it just doesn't make any sense. It's so inefficient um, in terms of how it does. But that doesn't mean we can't make it work really, really well, which is what we've done. You know, I mean, you look at what happened through COVID. Um, you know, the, the industry is one of the huge winners and that was, that was leadership as much as, you know, luck. Right. And, um, you know, Jay's willing, you know, Jay in May was talking about going back on the field when everybody was hiding underneath their beds. Right. And so, um, you know, amazing, right. That, and the fact that they were, we were first on television, first back on the field, our major at McCarty Park was the first event that mattered in sports since, you know, the Super Bowl um, uh, was, you know, a great thing for our game. And, and, and then obviously on the participation side. So it's uh, it's been a great run for the game. Um, you know, we're not taking it for granted by any means. Uh, we need to make sure we keep it, you know, sticky and generational. And we're doing everything we can possibly do to, to make that the case. Um, so and I like I. You know, the other good news about our ecosystem, back to USA Golf um, kind of question, is, you know, we do have the best system in the, in the world in the sense of our college system, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have minor league baseball without it, and you're getting four years of education, right? And, you know, those guys are coming out, and Jay's, you know, idea of having them get, you know, some uh, – sure. uh, some status uh, as a result of their play in the college game is fantastic. And it's it's a much healthier system because you come out and, you know, somebody who you know hurts their back and it's a can't miss, um, you know, and has been doing it since they were 15 and doesn't have an education. Um, yeah, they're, they're they got a they're looking at less of a life than somebody that graduates from Vanderbilt, and, you know, and and uh, um, and, uh, you know, suddenly can't play for whatever reason. Um, and so um, that part of it's terrific. We just need to sort of marry the pieces a little little bit better than we have all right five quick questions to get you out of here let me qualify the first one by saying this gentleman just came back from caddying for his son uh, in the final stage of the sunshine tour he got through despite the the input he was getting (laughs) from his looper uh that's very true (laughs) the the place the the place you want to take your son clancy to play golf that you neither one of you have ever been to sand hills very good answer. Very good answer. Never been. Never it, it's Mecca. Uh, and I've encouraged you to crystal, go. Number two, would be, number two would be Crystal Downs, which I also have a curiosity. That, that's now because I've gotten to Sand Hills. That's number one. I'll tell you another one that's north of Sand Hills, Gill's New Place, Cap Rock yeah. Ranch, looks special. I've seen seen pictures from him i have not i have not been there obviously yet but it looks it looks really cool. All right, really the cool. the best golf book you've ever read. To the Lynxland. Very Michael good one. Bumber, yeah. All right. The most competitive person you've ever played golf with? Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's an unbeatable answer. All right. Your your favorite view in the world of golf? 17th hole at Cypress. A very, very nice plaque right there to denote uh, that yeah, very volume. specific place. And number right. two is seven, 17 at National, which I think is also, as you know, I have this, uh, I have a, uh, a 
my rating system on golf is very different than everybody else's. Mine is, uh, what is it on the happy scale? Not what is it on, on the, you know, <laughs> challenge scale. And, uh, those are two very happy places. Very much so. The last one and the most important one that you be honest, uh, the last time you had a lower score than your wife, Jane, and around you played together. <laughs> uh, that's an excellent question. Um, I, I, you know, at the risk. <laughs> so I'm going to answer that with it. With, I'm going to deflect. Uh, we won the husband wife at, uh, at Seminole this year, which is alternate shot, by the way. Um, and uh, uh, so I'm going to, uh, that's my answer. <laughs> and you didn't immediately go Did, into proceedings, which I'm sure a few other participants no, might yeah, have. No, we're, we're pretty good at it. But it, uh, yeah, I made a couple putts and helped her out a little bit. And she, yeah, she hits the ball so well. She's starting to putt well, which just means she's going to, she's going to start killing me. I, I actually probably beat her on most days, um, mostly because she just doesn't know how good she is. And, um, uh, you know, she won the, senior Seminole, excuse me, uh, Shinnecock club championship last summer. And she's gotten the competitive bug. And so she's, she's so good. She's going to absolutely dust me. But um, so far I'm hanging on for fair life. It was sort of when, like when Clancy turned, you know, 11. And, uh, <laughs> and that was, he then hit it further, you know, hit better irons, was a better chipper and, you know, beat me from the same tees every time. Um, so that's, it's coming. Well, I was my, you know, my father's son, and then I was my son's father, and now I'm my wife's husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you had paint on the wall at Seminole already for the, the pro member, but now you've got it for a more important reason uh, with yeah. you and Jane, which is great. Listen, your, your time is precious and it's valuable, and you know I appreciate it very much. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for taking the time. Well, your friendship is precious and valuable, and I, uh, I, it's one of the great gifts of my life. So it's great to see you doing so well. I'm glad you've got your new life, and uh, uh, I'm proud of you. So it's great to be with you, and good luck. And, um, uh, and I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks for a hug. Thank you. All the best, all right? Really appreciate Seth Waugh, the PGA of America, uh, taking the time. I thought it was interesting, obviously, what he said. We're going to wait for a decision from Phil Mickelson on not only the immediate future, but, but the long-term future. And it's not just him. Uh, he said it very clearly that, that these other players, uh, there will be consequences. Go out, it's a free market, uh, but the decisions that are made regarding where you're going to play may impact where you may not play. And that may include future Ryder Cups with respect to some of these American and also European players as well. So I appreciate him taking the time. Appreciate all of you taking the time to listen and to watch. Next week, Shane Ryan, great writer. Uh, Joe wrote a book about the last Ryder Cup, which is a great history book as well. He's going to join us. And if you watch live from, whether it's the Masters, the U.S. Open, and the next one will be the PGA, Rich Lerner is the man who runs that show. But the guy behind it and has been for 20 years, Matt Hegarty, the senior coordinating producer Live From, the history of Live From on Golf Channel. Those two gentlemen are going to join me as well. Have a great day, everybody.